brought to you by WakeMed Women's, caring for women at every life stage. Find a doctor, schedule appointments, and more. Download the WakeMed All Access app today. Before we begin, we want to make it clear that the information presented in this podcast is intended to be educational and nothing said by the host, that's me, or the guest, these super nice doctors from WakeMed, should be taken as medical advice. The information presented here is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Your health is important, and seeking the advice of your own healthcare provider is always the best course of action. I don't know if it's because A Little Mermaid came out the time I took sex ed, but uh, every time I think of those hairs in the fallopian tubes, I think of seaweed at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, or anemones. (laughs) Yeah, just undulating motion. And is it animated in my head? Yes, it actually is. Instead of you just losing one egg per cycle, you're probably losing a number of eggs per cycle. I see. But only the best one makes it. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Ideally. So what about the end of the cycle? Because I know a lot of women who are older tend to have twins. I like to say it's your ovaries throwing a going out of business sale where they're just like throwing as many eggs down those (laughs) tubes as possible. Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. I mean, genetic factors definitely play into a role into whether or not a woman has twins. I started my period at the ripe old age of 11. It seems so young now. And I remember how intensely painful those first few years were. The cramps would have me writhing in pain on the couch. I'd even take time off of school sometimes. My mom took me to the gynecologist and their solution was birth control. After a few months of being on the pill, my cramps were way better. Although I did feel kind of scandalous, birth control was for people who were having sex. In the end though, I really didn't care. It didn't hurt to have my period anymore and really that was all that mattered. The pill changed the world. It changed my pubescent world for sure, but it also gave women freedom. Think about how freeing it was, not having to worry about getting pregnant every time you had sex for that first generation of women who had access to the pill. As it turns out though, the pill is useful for more than just pregnancy in women. My name is Sarah King, and I have questions about birth control. All right, with me today, I have Chantel Rodner. She is a MD with WakeMed, and you're an OBGYN. That's correct. And so you know all about birth control. I sure hope so. <laughs> That's what they pay me for. Right. Before we get started, you have your little name tag, and on your name tag, to explain what's on your name tag, because this is radio, or podcasting, rather. Perfect. They don't really know what's on there. Well, a few fun little trinkets that I have on my name badge are my IUDs. Um, and so I use these as a demo for my patients in the office. A lot of p- patients have concerns about what is an IUD? What does it look like? It, I think it's scary. It yeah. seems dangerous. Yeah. So these are really great teaching tools. They so kind of look have, like pogo sticks. They do, yeah. <laughs> the T, the as we call it. And so I have the progesterone IUDs and then I have the copper IUD. Oh, well, that's funny. It makes me think of a, a family story, my personal story. I was born in the late 70s, and my mom had an IUD in, and I was an IUD baby, and it, I came out <laughs> holding it in my hand. And so my mom has these preconceived notions that I'm supposed to be this big deal. She's like, you were meant to be. Is that a common thing for IUDs to fail? Um, thankfully not. In the uh, 70s, I think it might have been. <laughs> There's a one percent, a less than 1% chance. So Maybe I am special? You are very special. <laughs> you are very special. And it is interesting. Sometimes when people do conceive with an IUD in place, that is one of the common things that people always talk about is the, the baby holding the IUD like a little champion. So yeah. oh, they defeated fun. all the odds. 
ads. Oh, that's fun. Oh. <laughs> Me and my people. My, I am a one percenter. Yes. That's the only kind of one. A less than one percenter. Oh, even, even more better. Rare. Oh, God. Where's my jet? <laughs> um, so... What is an IUD? This, let's just go ahead and jump into the yeah. types of birth controls there are. IUDs are one of them. What is an yes. IUD? IUDs are very popular. So IUD stands for intrauterine device. Okay. And so essentially it's a copper or progesterone device that sits inside the uterine cavity. Um, they work by different methods. Uh, a copper IUD has no hormones. So essentially a copper IUD goes inside the uterus and it kills sperm. That is the way that it helps to prevent pregnancy. Is that why it's made out of copper? Because that's exactly. what does it? Okay. Yeah, it creates some inflammation inside the uterus and so it just is responsible for killing sperm that is the way that it prevents pregnancy so if it's if it's creating uh, inflammation, does it is it dangerous? It's not dangerous. Thankfully, um, you know, our bodies experience inflammation every time we have a menstrual cycle. So some degree of inflammation is normal. I see. Okay. But the copper itself, that metallic component, uh-huh. creates this inflammatory environment that is toxic to sperm. Oh, interesting. But one of the trade-offs with this inflammation is that some women report that their periods are a little bit heavier mm. or a little bit more crampy. Yeah, that makes sense. The progesterone IUD, talk about that. What is progesterone exactly? Yeah. So, you know, we men, women, um, individuals, we make hormones. And so estrogen and progesterone are really responsible for the rise and fall of the menstrual cycle, and whether or not a woman ovulates. Okay. Um, so the progesterone IUDs were designed to uh, be a birth control method, but work in a different way than the copper IUD. So with progesterone, the device secretes a small amount of progesterone every single day into the uterine lining. Okay. And so what that does, it creates a very thin lining of the uterus called the endometrium. It also increases our cervical mucus. Okay. And the tiny little hairs that are in our fallopian tubes, which are responsible for bringing that egg down the fallopian tube and getting fertilized by the sperm, they're sort of inhibited. So it works in three different ways. Oh, interesting. Locking sperm, creating a thin uterine lining, and preventing those little hairs from moving the egg towards the uterus. Ever since, uh, I don't know if it's because a Little Mermaid came out the time I took sex ed, <laughs> but uh, every time I think of those hairs in the fallopian tubes, I think of seaweed at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, or anemones. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. yeah, undulating motion. And yeah. is it animated in my head? Yeah, yes, it yeah. actually is. That's cool. Um, so let's talk about the hormones in birth control. Yeah. What are the hormones that are often used? So estrogen, progesterone are the two dominant forms of uh, contraceptive hormones. And so, you know, we commonly think about birth control as, you know, people have some negative side effects or some negative connotations about it. Um, But what estrogen and progesterone birth control do is they sort of, you know, inhibit the rise and fall of hormones. So each month uh, when an individual is having a menstrual cycle, the hormones rise and fall. Your body releases an egg, it gets picked up by the fallopian tube and you either do or don't get pregnant. Right. Well, what birth control typically does is it inhibits ovulation. So it sort of is tricking the body into saying, we, we can't get pregnant this month. Don't release an egg. Now is not a good time to get pregnant. So if you're inhibiting the release of eggs, does that mean that you will have a longer time before you go into menopause Sadly, versus someone... No. No? Sadly, no. So what happens? Do they just <laughs> die inside your ovaries? Yeah, yeah. So, you know... 
So individuals that have a uterus and, and ovaries uh, are born with hundreds of thousands of eggs. Okay. And over the course of time, those eggs just slowly die. It's a part of our natural aging process. So each month, a number of follicles, so small little cysts on the ovaries, are trying to get recruited to ovulate. Well, the body only wants one, sometimes two, that's where twins come from, to ovulate and release an egg. So let's say... Instead of you just losing one egg per cycle, you're probably losing a number of eggs per cycle. I see. But only the best one makes it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Ideally. So what about the end of the cycle? Because I know a lot of women who are older tend to have twins. I like to say it's your ovaries throwing a going out of business yeah, sale where they're just like throwing as many eggs down those <laughs> tubes as possible. Is that right? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean, a genetic factors definitely play into a role into whether or not a woman has twins. But you're right. It's it's sort of like those mechanisms that are responsible for making that one egg happen, it's its almost like because they've been dormant for so long, they're sort of getting recruited. That egg, it could just be one, but then it just divides into two, getting identical twins. Oh, so interesting. yes, we do see that more commonly with individuals that have a family history of twins. And then yes, women who are later in life or those who undergo IVF treatments. Right. Okay. Yeah. So going back to hormones, uh, what do each of them do? What differentiates estrogen from progesterone? Right. And because I, I know you may, there are uh, birth controls that are only progesterone. Mm -hmm. And are there ones that are also only estrogen? No. Okay. So when you have a uterus, you need estrogen with progesterone. They're buddies. They go together, okay. right? Estrogen is not found without progesterone, but although progesterone, it can be solo. Gotcha. Um, and it's because of the different ways that they work. So estrogen is really responsible for stimulating the ovary to help produce that nice dominant egg. Okay. And it also is helping our uterine lining to grow and support with nice, good, healthy blood vessels, that growing embryo, that early baby. Right. Um, so the way that it kind of works in the birth control realm is that when you keep estrogen and progesterone in steady state levels, then essentially you don't have that rise and fall. You're kind of keeping things in a stagnant level, kind of keeping things neutral. Okay. Um, whereas progesterone, as I mentioned with the IUDs, is more, it can sometimes inhibit ovulation mm -hmm. if it's a high enough dose, but it doesn't always work for women like that. Mm. So really more, it's creating that thickened cervical mucus, inhibiting those tiny follicles and keeping the uterine lining thin. So I kind of joke to my patients in the office, whereas like estrogen is like the fertilizer uh -huh. and then progesterone is like the lawnmower. Uh <laughs> and so you want to sort of keep them in a balance. So you don't really have want to have too high or too little of one or another. You're trying to keep things stable. We'll be right back because you know I have more questions. Ladies, when it's your health, it's your decision. And the decision is clearly WakeMed Women's. From pregnancy and childbirth to gynecology, surgery, weight loss, your emotional well-being and your heart, the care is as compassionate as it is comprehensive. So, wherever your health takes you, a lifetime of highly specialized care and a very good decision await you at wakenet.org. Well, can we talk about um, side effects for a second? Because, yeah. like, when I was early in my menstruating days, I... This is back in what I don't even know what t what year it was, but I remember some of the pills I would go on would make me so 
mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I have friends of mine who lose hair because right. of they, what talk about the side effects and why do they happen? Yeah. Well, you know, that's the great mystery of birth control. Oh, is it? Uh, oh. Well, yes and no. I mean, I mean, as you know. Every woman is different. That's right. Everybody is Everybody different. Is Every man different. and woman. Yeah. Yeah. And what may work for you or your friend or your mother or your aunt, or your sister doesn't work for another person. And and, and really it just, I, I chalk it up to your hormonal, hormonal environment is unique to you. And so how an, a person responds to birth control is unique, but we do have common side effects with okay. birth control, right? And so headache, breast tenderness, bloating, fatigue. Being some, mean. Mood changes. <laughs> I was mean. There's another word that a lot of other people use, but I'm gonna keep it clean sure, today. Sure. Um, <laughs> and and I chalk that up to think about an individual's menstrual cycle when they're not on birth control. Some women have more PMS, premenstrual sure. stress and symptoms. Some people don't change at all. Some people are a little bit more weepy, a little bit more prone to cry. Some people are a little bit more um, angry or irritable or fatigued. Um, and that's just because hormones, they are involved in all different parts of our body. And sure. so how we respond is unique. But areas that, you know, are responsible for being stimulated by hormones are going to be the uterus, the ovaries, the GI system, the breast tissue, and right. ultimately our brains. Okay. Do you think we're any closer to getting personalized birth control? Because wouldn't that be great if you could like somehow get like a fingerprint of your hormones? Yeah. Well, you know, they're doing it with other types of medications you'd use for mood disorder, like anxiety and depression. Um, But I I don't know with birth control because there are so many variables. Yeah. I'm optimistic that we get some male birth control here. That was one of my questions is like, why why do we have to do all the birth controlling? Like, why can't, there's got to be one for the guys. Yeah, and we've tried, right? I mean, researchers have tried, um, but the the fact of the matter is that every single time uh, a male um, has intercourse, millions of sperm are released. Well, can't we keep those like thin the the lining there or something? Right, so they're trying to target things they're trying to target certain receptors that are responsible for like the motility of the sperm so how the tails of the sperm move if we can make them immobile instead of them swimming towards the egg yeah. if we could like keep them in place um or work on decreasing the numbers or you know how we have an iud or people get their tubes quote tied sure they're trying to figure out ways to maybe temporarily block the vas deferens so the small tubes and the testicles okay. that are responsible for creating the sperm and getting it to where it needs to go. Um, But they just haven't been successful. And in the trials that they've done with some of the birth control, the individuals reported a lot of side effects. Oh, yes. Like uh, side effects where like (laughs) the whole act may not happen, those types of side effects? Some low libido, Mm. fatigue, acne, bloating. Oh, shucks. Oh, shucks. Us girls never had to deal with anything like that before. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, Have you you seen a pregnant woman? Have you seen what happens (laughs) after the pregnancy? Yeah, you can do a little acne there, guys. well, how about skipping periods? Because I do know that I I'm I use a Nuva ring, mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't do much for skipping periods with me because apparently it's very low on whatever the hormone is in it. Um, but is is this a healthy thing to do? Is this you know a lot of people love doing it? Yeah. But for me, whenever I tried doing it, when I finally do get to my next cycle, when I finally you know take it out, uh, it's extremely 
different than a mm-hmm. normal period. So what is going on with all of this? Yeah. Um, so I think one of the things that I'd like to sort of educate people on is that periods in themselves aren't necessarily a sign of health or uh, need to be um, experienced for their uh, to be sort of, you know, this cleansing, if you will. I think everyone sort yeah. of thinks like, oh, my body needs to be cleansed yes. and I need to have this uterine lining shut off each month. And the answer is no. <laughs> um, now, a woman who's not on birth control, if she's not having periods, of course, number one, we always think, is she pregnant? Number two, we start to think about, are there some hormonal things happening that are preventing her from having periods, right? Sure. And that's a different story. That might that's like infertility. Right. That might signal some pathology. Something right. might be going on. Right. But if you're on birth control, you don't necessarily have to have a period for it to be, quote, healthy or normal or be a sign that the birth control is working. So we have lots of people, about 20% of people that have the progesterone IUDs don't experience bleeding. It doesn't wow. mean that the hormones aren't working. It just means that, again, that balance of estrogen and progesterone is such that their uterine lining is not being shed. It's okay. just sort of stable. That's like a gift. And if people <laughs> right, and if people are on the NuvaRing, they're on the patch, they're on the pill, and they want to skip, they want to skip a cycle. I educate them. Yes, you can do that. If you go a long period of time without having a quote withdrawal bleed from sure. the hormones, sure, you may experience some breakthrough bleeding. Right. But again, it doesn't mean that something's dangerous or something's going wrong. It just means that hey. That uterine lining is just a little out of balance. You may have a little bleeding, but it may restart with the next cycle. Okay. I have one last question. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend of mine, and it's very tempting. Uh, she was on birth control until she was 56 years old, went off and had six months of menopause. Talk about this. Do you rec- do you recommend this? Because it sounds like a great idea to me. Right. Um, so <laughs> if you look at the data, I mean, the average age of menopause is about 51. Okay. We know that people will go through it either sooner or later, depending on the number of factors or genetics, their body weight, their ethnicity, lots of things. But the recommendation is to usually keep an individual on birth control until about 51. Okay. And then we have a conversation about hormone replacement therapy because the doses of estrogen and progesterone in birth control are much higher than what they are for a postmenopausal woman. Okay. So the likelihood of pregnancy after 51 is pretty low. We all know those rare cases where it may happen, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but usually we recommend switching to a lower dose estrogen and progesterone in that 51, mid 50s time period. And so there are lots of options available that can help to ease that menopausal transition. Which is a whole nother podcast that I already have booked and I can't wait to talk about it. But this has been very informative. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Chantel. Thank you for having me. I think my favorite thing I learned today is that male birth control could happen if guys just got over the side effects. And I think we all know that we can make them get over those side effects. Come on, acne, please. We women have gone through so much worse. Sarah Has Questions is a production of Capital Broadcasting Company. My guest today was Chantel Rodner with WakeMed OBGYN. To find out more about her or any of the other providers from the WakeMed team, go to wakemed.org. If you have thoughts about any episode or questions you want me to ask in a future episode or ideas for an episode at all, send me a message in the link. You'll find it in the show notes. Thanks for listening.